Well, I'm not a crook. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. I have a dream. All I ask of our brethren is that they take their feet off our necks. It transcends the senses. This is Murder of Grey. So did you know that the sun, actually like the center of the sun, is actually frozen? Get the hell out of here. (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) Is that where Santa is? Yeah, that's where he lives. So, God, like this is kind of a weird, embarrassing thing. That statement has lived with me since ninth grade. Okay. I don't remember a lot from my childhood or much of anything, but that stupid statement right there, because it made me realize at that moment, I am too much, I'm too gullible and I just say yes to things and I need to not get the fuck off. Because <laughs> I remember uh, we were getting in the car after wrestling practice and one of our friends just out of nowhere says that. He's like, hey, did you know the center of the sun's actually frozen? And I went, oh yeah, I heard about that. I didn't hear about that. But my mind just instantly was like, yeah, that's great. <laughs> I guess I wanted friends. I don't know. Huh. <laughs> like it, it was it was pretty bad and pretty dumb. And I felt really stupid because everyone else in the car just stayed quiet. And they went, no, it isn't. That's dumb. And the guy was like, yeah, I know. I was just testing all you guys to see how gullible you are. Good job, Christian. <laughs> I was like, shit. Damn. <laughs> yeah, he got me. He got me pretty good there. That was. Yeah. Still things to this day. And That's no okay. How, yeah. Just look how far you've come. Yeah. Yeah. Global kid to a global outside. adult. Yeah. Now I know it's uh, it's it's not frozen. It's not. It's hollow. Right. And that's where. Yeah, that's where the lizard people live. They come yeah. down to Earth through the hole in Russia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have a direct wormhole to, to yeah. Russia. It's like a little pipeline. It's like the Jetsons pipeline, so it just sends them there. It's totally fine. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm Christian. I'm Chris. And this is the Murder of Grey podcast. Thank you guys so much for joining us once again as we dive into different moral and ethical dilemmas that we have found throughout time. And today we have a fresh one for you guys. There is a docu-series that just went, uh, came up on Netflix. It is Don't Answer the Phone. Or was it Don't Pick Up the Phone? One of those is a really horrible 1980s film. Uh, and when I, it's kind of funny, I keep mixing them up, but yeah, they're both pretty disturbing. Uh, one's about a Vietnam vet that is calling a bunch of porn actresses and then strangling them and all that. And then the other one is telling, yeah, it's fun. Uh, and then the other one's a docuseries about a true crime that actually happened in the United States. But anyway, it's, it's actually very interesting and it really spoke a lot about the mind itself what we are capable of and what we are able to accept as reality and how far people are able to be pushed if they're given the right triggers, the right words, the right phrases, the right, just that right mindset to be molded, to 
be told to do heinous, horrible things and to just comply, no questions asked. Yeah. So it's it's a lot to kind of dive into. And this all starts from a prank call. This is this whole case, every single thing that we're going to be talking about is from a prank call. Now, how many times have you gotten a call from somebody and they're like, hey, we need you to renew your subscription of what book, like, or whatever it is, right? Like, is think your fridge about, running? Yeah. Is your fridge running? Oh, you better go catch it. Like all those stupid prank call things that come up and instantly, like, you just know after they say something like, okay, this is stupid. Get out of here. I'm hanging up. Right. But I, I don't know. Like, this is a really interesting case because the people went really really far with the things that they did now before we get into those details too much why don't we talk about prank calls a little bit now whenever i was a kid i used to love soundboards and i used to love prank calling people i thought it was the funniest thing in the world even though it was really really dumb (laughs) (laughs) and it was just wasting time and taking up the phone line for sure (laughs) like i think i even prank called the cops once from my uncle's house which is pretty my god yeah yeah, I was a little shithead kid. But what about you? Like, did you ever do the prank call? Did you ever try and just, you know, sleep over with friends or whatever? And you guys are up there like, hey, let's just dial a random phone number and see who picks up. Like, did you guys ever do that? As much as I love the early stages of trolling, I. Ooh, that's a tough one, because I'm like, I always did other stuff for pranks but i remember hanging out with my friends and like we would prank call people and basically we just have like porn running in the uh. background <laughs> like super loud so then they hear it <laughs> or like try thing. to have a conversation like i'll be like hi how are you this is so-and-so and like, i don't know who that is and then you just play it and then mm-hmm. we'd all fucking crack up thinking it was the funniest thing when it's like so dumb yeah like we weren't trying to be like mean or anything like my one of my friends was more of like not to the extreme of what we're going to talk about but like he could keep it going for quite a while Mm. a majority of the time so he was good at reading people yeah you would think he he was part of crank anchors or something you know I, I always remember that uh, stand-up comedian that would talk about telemarketers that call and how he used to love to prank telemarketers where they're like, hey, we really want to talk to you about this insurance plan. And he's like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. Let's keep talking about it. And then like five minutes into the conversation, he'll be like, hey, hey, grandma, grandma, don't get up. Don't get up. You know, you got a bad hip. And the person's talking and they're like, oh, do you need to take care of me? He's like, no, 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 she's fine. She's fine. And then a couple minutes later, he's like, oh, my God, grandma, you found <laughs> us. No. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. There's blood everywhere. There's blood everywhere. And then, like, the telemarketer is freaking out, like, oh, my God, you need to take care of him. Like, uh, it's fine. It's fine. He's like, no, no, no. I really want to hear about this insurance plan. <laughs> like, this is more important. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like, <that> was <laughs> stupid, but funny. But, all right. On a more serious note, let's dive into what this prank caller actually did and to a lot, a lot of people. Now, his main target, 
or his only target, which I thought was really interesting. And I'm curious as to why he picked these guys. But it kind of makes sense when you really look at it a little bit further. And uh, in the docuseries, they did kind of do a little bit of an analysis of the areas in which he was targeting and things like that. So there is some thought behind this. Uh, But he targeted fast food restaurants or fast food chains. Um, actually, a lot of McDonald's were involved in this, and it ended up spreading across 32 states. There's cases that he was uh, linked back to. And what this hoax caller was able to do, which might shock people, is that he was able to convince managers that he was a cop and that one of their employees was in trouble and that they needed to strip search them on the spot at the restaurant in the office right then and there because their case needed to be handled right away. There was no time to wait for it. Now, this is just kind of insane. I, I As a manager, I don't think I would strip search anybody no matter what. I'd be like, okay, well, you're a cop, so I'm going to just wait for you to get here. You can do it. Right. Like, I don't think I would ever go down that route at all. But then it doesn't end with the strip search. That's just the beginning. It goes further and further. And he convinces these managers to do more and more heinous things to these individuals. And a lot of the times the people, the victims were actually minors in in these cases And there was a lot of sexual assaults that happened because of this hoax caller and these managers believing the call. Like That's heavy. And from the outside, I feel like it's so easy to say, how could these people ever be tricked by this? How could these people have actually done that? And when you talk to the people who were a part of it, talk to the managers, they really don't know why they did it they felt they always claimed that they wanted to stop but for some there was something there that kept them going kept them in it right and it's it's crazy so over about 10 years so this was taking place over 10 years he reached 32 states and there was over 100 cases documented on this hoax caller and he got away with it for 10 years now in 2004 there was a very special case now this one really went extreme and it became special because she spoke out a lot and she actually ended up suing uh, mcdonald's for this case Uh, her name was louise ogborn so it was just a normal day at mcdonald's just like any other day apparently it was pretty busy and she gets called back to the manager's office her manager's on the phone while she's sitting there in her chair and the manager claims that there is a cop on the line and he says that she stole 100 dollars out of a patron's purse uh at the restaurant about an hour earlier and of course nothing actually happened there was no crime so Luis denies it and that's whenever the cop says well you have to strip search her for the money you have to look for it and so they got her to start with small things like her shoes and her socks to get 
them comfortable. And then the rest of the articles of clothing would come after that, right? But the weird thing is, well, I mean, obviously the whole situation is weird, but it gets weirder and weirder, surprisingly. Uh, during the ship search, he would ask, what is the brand of the clothes? What are the brands of the bras and underwear? What size is the bra, right? And then he would ask the manager to then describe their body to him and check every crevice every everywhere. And at this time, Luis was 16 years old. Okay, so this is a lot to deal with. And she's just doing what her manager says. She thinks this is what needs to be done right now. So about an hour and a half goes by, and she's just sitting in the office naked, right? Uh, her clothes are in a pile. And then the restaurant starts getting busier and busier, and the manager has to step out and tells the cop, I'm terribly sorry, I have a restaurant to run. I need to get back to work. So this caller was actually pretty quick on the draw by asking, well, do you have a male around that you trust? She said no. There was no employees here that she can trust with this girl uh, or that she felt comfortable leaving her with. And then he asked, well, do you have a boyfriend or a fiance or a husband that can stop by the McDonald's and watch her while you're doing the work and can continue the investigation? And she complied, yes, of course. Uh, her fiance, Walter Nix, ends up showing up at the McDonald's and continues the search. Now, when the when the manager leaves the room, it's just Walter Nix and this little girl who's trying to hide behind a McDonald's apron because she's completely naked underneath. They won't let her put her clothes back on. And the cop tells uh, Walter to remove the apron. She's not allowed to have it. And then he tells her that she needs to do jumping jacks just in case something falls out or that she needs to get a sweat going because if they wipe her skin with the sweat, there might be green residue from money on it. Right? Like, how ridiculous is that, right? And Walter complies. He continues with this. And then it gets weirder. The caller says, okay, well, now you need to have her bend over your knee and you need to spank her. And Walter Nix complies for 10 to 15 minutes. He just keeps hitting her over and over and over again. And at no point is Walter Nix stopping. He's being completely compliant to this quote-unquote cop. And then it gets worse from there. Now the cop is claiming, or quote-unquote cop, is claiming that she needs to perform a sexual act on him. And Walter Nix begins to comply. Now, Walter Nix will not say how far it went, but supposedly after the act was finished, he then realized, magically, he just then realized that this is wrong and he shouldn't be doing this. And so he leaves. He just bolts. He gets out of Dodge. He gets out of the McDonald's completely. But all of this is on camera. The entire thing has been being filmed this whole time and it ends up being a four hour ordeal so after walter leaves the restaurant the manager comes back in sees uh, luis crying and just still naked sitting in the chair with the phone with the cops still on the phone but no one that they aren't talking to him 
So she picks it up. She starts talking to him, kind of apologizes for Walter's outburst and leaving. And then a random employee comes by, sees what's going on, sees that Luis is naked in the manager's office, takes the phone from the manager and says, who is this? And the guy starts to give his whole spiel that I'm a cop from the local PD and we're performing this and that and blah, blah, blah. And luckily that employee goes, this is bullshit. This is a fake call and hangs up on him right then and there. Just like, nope, not going to do it. So luckily, Luis gets to, you know, put her clothes back on. The manager then realizes, oh, my God, this was a hoax this whole time. Feels horrible for it. But the damage is done. Right. And this is a common MO. So this is just one case out of over 100 that this hoax caller was able to convince these managers to go that far. That's that's a lot. It's a lot to take in. It's a lot. It's wild. It's, I I still I still after like looking it up and doing more research and actually watching through the whole docu series and I I can't understand how someone can go that far. I just really can't. Like, imagine mm. you were in that situation. You were on duty at that time. Would you have gone through with it? Like, at what point do you think you would have been like, I'm not comfortable with this. I'm not doing this. I mean, you're not. No one's allowed to strip search unless you're like law enforcement. It's like. Right. I feel like it's like a known rule. Like, you have no authority to do that, you know? I mean, especially like what you would think most I, people would know, but I think one of his later or no, one of his earlier ones, he was able to get uh, someone to do a cavity search. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Like a guy did it on a woman. And it's like, oh, what made you think that that was the right thing to do? Yeah. Like it was the manager got a male and it's like, why would you even get a male to do it? Like, maybe I could see it if it was a woman, but it's like, even then, that's just, yeah. Well, yeah, but I'm just like, why? Like, how are these people like just falling for this? And uh, there was another one I was reading. There's actually a it case was... of a woman manager with a boy that performed sexual acts on the boy as well see i didn't see that yeah so like there's a lot of stories that aren't being told they're kind of being brushed under the rug because it was just a prank caller and the cops didn't investigate it further because they found the person who did the act why are they going to look for a caller that caller didn't do it they have their culprit cases closed so that's why it didn't get investigated very heavily jesus and oh this is the one so Four years before that McDonald's incident, another McDonald's in Kentucky had, uh, there was the, the manager, right? She was told to undress herself in the presence of a certain customer. The caller basically told her that this customer was a suspected sex offender and that the manager was serving as bait and Doing this would enable the undercover police officers to arrest him. Wow. 
And I'm just like, why would you believe that? Why would you even want to be bait for that? That's ridiculous. Like, imagine you're just going to get your stupid Big Mac and then just someone just totally undresses themselves right in front of you. Yeah. An employee. You're like, um. I'm like, yeah, and you really wanted to quit, huh? Can I get my change? (laughs) I just want my Big Mac. I forgot my apple pie. (laughs) I just wanted a Pepsi. Oh, God. That's, I just don't understand how people can be so gullible. And I think that's the big thing here is gullibility and this idea that they all thought that they were being told what to do by an authority figure they thought they were actually talking to the cops and being guided by a police officer how to properly do a strip search which whenever you talk to every manager that was interviewed uh, they say that he was incredibly detailed, incredibly thorough with the strip search, that it felt like they were actually being trained on how to do one properly. Now, of course, reading the labels and checking bra sizes is not part of it. So I don't know how legit it really sounded, right? But apparently legit enough for these people. And I think it's important to really look at where... Uh, a lot of these locations were that were being targeted. Uh, They were all in very small towns uh, and they were in just random areas. So like any tiny town that had a very heavy church influence, it was probably targeted. So and then also on top of that, when you have small towns uh, going after fast food places, you know that it's going to be mostly youth working there and youth is more gullible than adults uh, because a lot of the times the cases that uh, ended or the person who realized hey this is bull (laughs) like this is a fake call were like for instance with Luis it was an elderly janitor that happened to be walking by so they're less likely to fall trapped to these things so it is it's it's so crazy to think about and I think it also has to do with the the time frame. He starts off really, really slow, and then it begins to ramp up. And that is something that we've seen in another study, one that is specifically done on obedience itself. That's the Milgram experiments. Now, a lot of people might not recognize the name, but once they hear what the experiment is, it'll kind of click together a little bit. This experiment was to test the obedience of individuals uh, during the 1960s, where there was one person who was an educator, there was one person who was a student, uh, they were separated by a wall, and the educator had to ask the student questions, and every time they got a question wrong, they had to produce an electrical shock that would shock the student. And every time they got one wrong, the voltage went up and up and up. It went up by 15 volt increments, all the way up to 450 volts. Uh, And then after that, so there were switches after the 450 that were just labeled XXX, right? So, yeah, (laughs) right, yeah, here we go. But (laughs) it's kind of crazy to think, like, according to the Milgram study and the Milgram experiment and what they liked to release to the public because we can kind of get into some of the other facts here about this experiment and why it's so controversial. 
uh, is that they are claiming 65% of individuals are extremely obedient. When told to do something, they do it. Uh, from a test of 40 men, uh, 65% of them actually went through and delivered the highest shock, despite how much pain was perceived by the student. Now, the student was an actor, the only person in this study that was uh, actually real was the quote unquote educator. Uh, so that's where it gets kind of interesting. So they would just hear someone screaming and pleading and saying, I have a heart condition. And just because the scientist said, oh, it's essential that you continue with the test, keep going, then they would just deliver the shock despite them claiming that they didn't want to do it. So there is something there. Um, this was actually in direct reaction to World War II, where a lot of the soldiers were claiming uh, that they shouldn't be charged with war crimes because uh, they were just following orders. And Milgram wanted to study the idea of obedience and how far people are willing to go and how much danger they're willing to put people in uh, through these kind of heinous tests. And there's a lot of backlash about these things. but. I don't know, like, I don't care who's telling me what, like, if I'm hurting someone, I'm stopping. Like, I'm not going to continue hurting someone, even if someone in a lab coat with a clipboard is telling me, oh, you have to keep doing the test. I'd be like, uh, no. <laughs> How about you press the damn button <laughs> if you want to keep giving this guy shocks, right? Like, I... I this whole idea of obedience is very interesting to me. And I, I don't know, do you have like a, like a, a connection or like a moment in your life where you felt like you might have been a little too obedient to a situation that you wish that you weren't? Because I honestly think I'm the opposite. I, I honestly feel like I never listen to anybody. Um, it's more so I just, if I do something, I'll I'll do it without thinking and there have been maybe times that I've done that but it's never been to the point where it's like this where I like would lack judgment I guess is the the correct term for this cuz it's like I can understand maybe these people pressing the highest setting out of curiosity I feel like I saw a video on it and there was like a mention like this is back in like college. I remember hearing about this experiment and I think one or two of the people said that they were just curious, like what that switch actually did. And, mm. you know, I mean, I think in the back of all our minds, at least I don't know about yours, but it's like, I'd be curious to see what that last switch does. Now, would I do it? Probably not. It's like the big red button you know, in Men in Black. It's like, what's this button do? Yeah. Oh, don't worry about it. Don't touch it. And after someone tells you don't touch the button, it's like, fuck, I want to touch the button. <laughs> I want to see what it like, does. <laughs> like, it'd be like, probably if I hit the first couple switches, I'd probably giggle or something because, you know, they would just be like, oh, oh. But then once it actually gets like bad and uncomfortable, and then I'd be like, oh, this is kind of. I don't like this. You yeah. know, it goes from like, oh, this is kind of funny to, oh, we're doing this. Yeah. 
Um, There's actually some instances where the actor was told to stay silent, to scream so loud and then just go silent afterwards. The educators were forced (laughs) to ask the question, the next question in the order. And they were told that take his silence as a wrong answer and shock him again. And they did it. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, yo, you might have killed him. (laughs) Shock him again. Imagine being the actor just like screaming at nothing. Yeah, right. It was so delayed to you when you watch the videos. Like they flip the switch and it's like a whole like second or two later. It's like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty bad. Um, speaking of experiments, I don't know if you've heard about this one. It's kind of the same. It was a field experiment. And I feel like it, no, I've never really heard about this one until I was looking into this, but it's called the Hoffling Hospital Experiment. I have not heard of that. Curious. So in 1966, a psychiatrist by the name of Charles K. Hoffling conducted an experiment in obedience in a nurse-physician relationship. Basically, it was a natural, like, hospital mm-hmm. setting, right? Um... Nurses are ordered by unknown unknown doctors to administer what could have been a dangerous dose of a make-believe drug to their patients. In spite of, you know, guidelines forbidding administration in such circumstances. So basically what he did was someone would uh, call saying that he was a doctor, giving, you know, like a fake doctor Mm -hmm. name. And he would ask the nurse to administer 20 milligrams of this drug. And I think they name it Astrotin to a patient. And that he or she would provide the required signature for the medication later. Um, That's not how that works. The bottle. I know. And the bottle of the the make-believe drug was actually placed in the cabinet of the the office, Uh right? Um. There's no drug of the, on the approved list, and the label says that 10 milligrams is the maximum daily dose. So basically what this experiment was is to see how many nurses would just blindly follow or listen to this or even question it, even though it's 10 milligrams over the dosage, a.k.a. killing the person. That's scary. And surprisingly... 21 out of 22 nurses would have given the lethal dose. Oh, my God. And they had someone waiting at the door to stop the nurse from administrating, administering those drugs. That's... And it's just like, it's wild, dude. I'm like, really? That's scary. That's your doctor. That's someone you're trusting with your life. And... Yeah, they said the... <sighs> The the end thing was that he was able to demonstrate that people are very unwilling to question those who are considered authority mm-hmm. figures or, you know, I don't say educated, but, you know, of higher higher positions, right? Yeah. Schooling. Yeah. Higher position. Yeah. And that's exactly what this hoax caller was doing uh, with these managers of all these fast food chains. Right. He was claiming to be PD of their local area. Like he knew who, where he was calling. He said, hey, I'm so-and-so from, you know, Little Rock PD or whatever it may be, right? Like, so that's it. There's that sense of authority that, like, you kind of have to, 
I, I feel like I would question it at first or I'd be like, okay, like, cool. Like you're a cop. What's going on? Like, I don't think you would naturally reject someone calling you on the phone and saying that they're a cop, right? Or a nurse getting a call at the hospital saying, or like questioning that she's talking to a doctor, right? It is a very interesting situation there where you can't always believe these things, but you can't always be on edge either. Like we can't always be, we can't always not trust what we're hearing and right. Like it's, it's a tough thing to do. So it's, it's crazy. You know, you think about it and it's like, you would think, Oh, that was in the sixties with a lot of these experiments. Like, people were just more gullible because you know they didn't have the whole world in their hand on their phone but then you look at the the stories with this caller and it's like you know it was early 2000s but i mean people could still find out information it was going on for 10 years and uh and multiple mcdonald's were hit by this so why did it take more than 10 years for mcdonald's to say something because there was cases about these things all over the place, all over the country. Yeah, that's I. It's like they just wanted mm-hmm. to hide it. Yeah, you know that's the thing. Uh, another. I won't get into this because this is actually pretty damn long for anyone that's actually interested in this. Because there's actually a lot of audio logs and stuff on YouTube, or I think they still are. They might have gotten mm-hmm. taken down. But uh, there was this group called Pranknet. Uh, early 2000s they were basically relevant like 2009 2010 uh they're also known as prank university right basically it was this group that would meet on skype or on the forums and they would organize prank calls basically pretending to be uh firemen or you know like chemical like operators basically they they know where to call and they knew like what was possibly an emergency mm-hmm. and real quickly they have a lot of pranks but the two that really stood out to me because they had like more proof after it happened was in 2009 they called a kfc and they pretended to be a manager from the corporate office and basically persuaded the employees to douse the building with fire suppression chemicals and then to proceed outside, remove all their clothing and urinate on each other. (laughs) He claimed the chemicals are caustic and that this would render them inert. Inert. And, And they did it too. And he didn't believe it. He thought they might have been acting along. So months later, he posed as an insurance adjuster and questioned some of the people that work there and was like, Hey, did this really happen? Did this really go on? And apparently oh it God. did. These people are um, so gullible. But this one was, this one took the fucking, oh, excuse me. This one took the freaking cake. So that same year, uh, they called a Hampton Inn in York, Nebraska. Uh, and basically they told this employee to trip, a fire alarm and so as all their guests like ran out to the lobby a second call was placed to the front desk and he claimed that you know don't call the fire department and instead um 
he would give them instructions on how to turn off, you know, the alarm and make things safer. So he sent them off first with a website to a porn website. And once they realized, oh, that didn't work, uh, basically the next suggestion, and this is actually something very common in all their other pranks, was to break all the windows at the hotel. Uh, In this case, the front windows. So there was a truck driver staying there and he actually volunteered to help because he was like actually worried. So this truck driver drove his semi truck or he backed it up into the front How door. How would they turn off the fire alarms? It, talk about oh gullible. But yeah, like a bunch of their pranks have people like smashing like windows. There was one where they broke like a water something with the water sprinklers and cost I think what was it? I think it was $115,000 in water damage in seven guest rooms wow. and a conference room at a Holiday Inn. Well, and here's the thing. Like, are these prank callers at fault <laughs> for that? They just convince them. Now, there is some that, like laws that they are breaking, right? Impersonating an officer, mm-hmm. or, right? There, There's things like that that are there. But are they the ones at fault by telling someone to do something so stupid and then following through with it? I, that's a tough question to ask, right? Or a tough question to answer, at least. So I, I yeah. God, that's horrible. People are so freaking gullible. <laughs> like all it takes is to sound confident in the way that you talk and people will eat it up. And that's actually something, surprisingly enough, that's something I've been kind of teaching the kids at my classes a little bit. And now I feel bad about saying that. And now I feel bad about teaching them that. (laughs) But we have to do a presentation on a fake innovation project that they're coming up with uh, for uh, a competition that we're going to be going into, right? And they ask, like, they're all kids. They're like 9, 10, 11 years old. And they don't know the concept of, acting right and like kind of bullshitting your way through a pro like a project or how to sell a product even though there's nothing there to sell right how to sound confident in what you're trying to deliver when there's absolutely no product whatsoever so i've been kind of like teaching them how to be confident in something that doesn't exist how do you sell a product when there's nothing there there's nothing tangible i mean yes there are some great real world things that they can take this into you as far as like if they want to be entrepreneurs and they have a great idea for a new product, they can sell the product based on the idea itself, not the tangible thing there. But now I'm starting to think, like, am I teaching them to be convincing enough to get people to do some really stupid stuff if they really want to take that and spin it, right? Like, are they going to make those connections? I hope not. And I hope those kids aren't listening to this show. I don't tell them about it, but I don't know. <laughs> God, that's horrible. It's a horrible idea. Ugh. Yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, there's another story of like just gullibility itself revolving around a 14-year-old boy. A 14-year-old boy, uh, this is a couple years ago. Some of you guys might not remember this, but it, he was a student at Eagle Rock Junior High in Idaho Falls. And he put a petition online saying that we need to have 
strict control of a chemical known as dihydrogen monoxide. Uh, he then goes to claim that this chemical or this substance causes excessive sweating, vomiting, can be lethal if accidentally inhaled, contributes to erosion, um, and has been found in tumors of cancer patients. And he sent this petition out to 50 students and 50 or after or like the, out of the 50 students, 43 of them signed the petition saying, yeah, this sounds horrible. This sounds super dangerous. Uh, six of them were undecided and only one knew the truth just from reading it. Now think about it. Some of you guys might not have caught it. And given the fact that, you know, 43 people were tricked by this petition, how many of you just heard dihydrogen monoxide and didn't give it a second thought and thought it could be a pretty dangerous chemical or a chemical you don't know about? When in fact, that's just H2O. That's just water. And he convinced people that this was incredibly lethal and that it needed to be banned. And people believed it. His own peers believed it, right? So that's just... It's crazy that like just having a little bit of facts, a little bit of science, a little bit of idea of like a sense of authority to the way that you're presenting your stuff. And that's all it takes to convince people that what you're saying is 100% true and they need to believe it. Like no questions asked, right? It's nuts. It's nuts. All right. Let's go back to the story itself of the hoax caller. Uh, that convince these managers to do some pretty crazy stuff. Now, we're going to fast forward through quite a bit of it because there's a lot of investigation, but the investigation doesn't start until around 2004 after the Louis Og uh, Ogborn uh, case. And through some police investigative work, they were actually able to find the city in which all of the calls were being performed. And that was actually Panama City, Florida. Uh, at a payphone by a gas station. So all every single call that was made to all the states, all 100 cases, and there's actually more calls. There's a lot, a lot of calls because he didn't get to everybody, but he did get to over 100 individuals um, over 10 years. So he was actually using an AT&T calling card to you know, mask his identity a little bit more so it wasn't as traceable. But... One of the crazy things that happened here, right? And I think this is why he was able to get away with it for so long, despite how many cases there were. And of course, there wasn't that much investigation. But if anyone looked into it prior to 2001, then there was no way of them finding where the calling card was actually coming from. But apparently after 9-11, even though it says that your calls on calling cards are anonymous and untraceable, and that's what's being told to the public, the phone lines actually have a way of tracing those phone calls. So the government put in place after 9-11 a way to trace calling cards without actually telling people that they can now do that because they were on the hunt for terrorists. They were looking for that. And because of 9-11, it's kind of crazy how that works, right? Like because of 9-11, they were able to track the calls to Panama City, Florida, which then they were able to find where the cards were purchased at a local Walmart, and they were able to find surveillance footage of the person who actually purchased those cards. And his name is David Stewart. Um, David Richard Stewart. And he 
at first they thought he was a cop, given the clothes that he was walking into Walmart with. So, of course, other cops were surprised and really freaking out about this situation or this possibility here. But it turns out he was actually a corrections officer, which I think is even it's just as bad. Right. So this guy for over 10 years was making these hoax calls and convincing these patron or these managers to assault their employees. Uh, and he was a corrections officer himself. He was a part of the system that was investigating these things. So it's kind of nuts. And while this does go to trial eventually, uh, but he was actually uh, tried for impersonating an officer more than anything else because you can't charge him with sexual assault. He didn't actually perform the sexual assault. People like Walter Nix did and were convicted of sexual assault. But this guy had a really great lawyer and he ended up getting off scot-free. Uh, he was not convicted of any crimes uh, because they said that there was not enough evidence to link him to these phone calls. Even though they have the calling cards, they have where it was purchased, it's in his area. They have him actually buying the calling cards on camera, and they said it still wasn't enough to link him to these things. So that's what's pretty bizarre to, uh, of all this. Now, while that might not give people a sense of justice, right? We want to know that there is some sort of happy ending to this. Uh, Louis Ogburn did, in fact, sue McDonald's uh, because they had had cases starting back in the 90s, about like early 90s, 92-ish era, and they did not warn any of their McDonald's employees about prank calls about someone that's going to be claiming to be an officer and asking you to perform a strip search, even though they had multiple cases across multiple states, across multiple years that this was happening. And they failed to alert their employees. And Louis Ogburn actually won that lawsuit. And McDonald's had to, you know, pay her out. They paid her $2.2 million for for everything they originally sued for i believe 20 million dollars and they ended up getting 2.2 so it which is not i mean it's 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 little right but they took on mcdonald's one of the biggest companies out there that was completely trying to brush this thing under the rug and during the whole case they were trying to you know blame her for the things that were happening and blame the manager and put and pin everything on them uh instead of saying like well yeah we could have you know sent out an email at least to let people know that these calls were going on. But regardless, the calls have stopped uh, for this. I mean, you know, there's other prank calls out there and we need to be wary of these things and pay attention and really think about who we're talking to on the phone, of course. Uh, but there is a little bit of, like, I guess a little bit of an uploading thing there. Louis Hogborn did get some something back for all that horrible things that happened to her. Still not worth it. I mean, like that's trauma that's going to live with her forever. I totally understand that, but yeah, it's it's crazy. Like it, the gullibility, the 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 willing to obey so blindlessly, uh, or so blindly, uh, and it's just yeah, I I still can't understand people. And it, I feel like with this show, it's nice because we get to look, you know, like like we said in the very early days of the show. Uh, that we would look behind the curtain of our own minds to find out who we are, what makes us tick. 
And I was feeling like with each episode, we kind of grasped a little bit more of ourselves. And then stories like this come out and it's like, oh, well, now I don't know anymore. Right? Like it it feels like everything I learned is now Mm -hmm. a, a moot point because people can be this gullible and do some crazy things. But I, I guess we shouldn't have been surprised because we knew that already with things like the Holocaust where people were just blindly following orders even if they didn't want to. Or even now we look at the war in Ukraine where you have a bunch of Russian sh- soldiers that are saying they don't even want to fight, but they're fighting anyway because they're told to do so. So it's it's all on that same vein of when do you as a person say, I've had enough and I'm not going to listen to this. I, I'm not doing it. I don't care. I'm not doing it. And I think that's something we need to find out ourselves because we know our own limits. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you guys so much for listening in. And we will talk to you next week with the next set of moral and ethical dilemmas that we find throughout time. But until then, bye for now.